0: Hey listeners, welcome to the Ad Intellect podcast. Today we have with us the incredible Shreya Pathar, who's an agency owner and content writer, creating content and working with high ticket clients across the world. With a following of nearly 110,000 followers on LinkedIn and 44,000 followers on Instagram, she has fast tracked her way into building a successful online business career. She now helps freelancers, creators, entrepreneurs, and students to save months and months of time and effort in building an online presence. Her beautifully crafted ebooks like Twitter Anthology, Money Calls, Freelancing Freedom, and Cashing In on LinkedIn have received great reviews from freelancers, entrepreneurs, and students around the globe. In this episode, Shreya shares her journey of building a successful freelancing career, deconstructs content monetization and audience economics across platforms like Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and also answers to specific listener questions towards the end. So without further ado, let's jump straight into the show. Hey Shreya, welcome to Ad and Leg podcast. Uh, it's great to have you here. Um, thanks for taking out, of, out time in, out of your busy schedule and doing this thanks so much
1: yeah thanks for having me Kinshak nice to be here
0: great so uh, when I was uh, preparing for this podcast I think one question which would be really interesting to ask you is like what does a typical day in your life looks like can you quickly just um you know share certain aspects of it like how how do you juggle with so many clients and then your own uh, personal marketing stuff as well, and everything which goes into you know creating this, uh, creating the eBooks as well and everything else?
1: Right. Um, so I like you know just based on the nature of my work since it's self-employment, I don't really have like a, a routine as such. It changes day by day. But I would say that, you know, most of my day, it has like these four pillars that I like to call them, which is a concept I came up with recently. Um, So one of them is of course work, which involves like client work, taking calls, um, all that kind of stuff. The second would be content. So creating content across the three platforms, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, um, doing these sort of podcasts, creating eBooks. And then there's something also just on the personal side, which would be like, um, playing badminton or walking my dog, which is now a routine anyway. But yeah, something on the personal side that I enjoy. And then there's workout. So these are like the four main things that I aim to get done during my day. And like, you know, managing it as such is one of the things is that when it comes to client work, I'm pretty fast at it. I don't like to stick to the same thing for a long time. So I try to get it done and get it out of my way as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. And content creation is like Just something I really enjoy. So I'll just pick up my phone anytime I have an idea. I'll create something. It'll either be in my notes or it'll be in Twitter drafts until Twitter decides to, you know, log me out suddenly. It'll stay there. And, you know, I'll also like content creation is pretty much on the go. I don't have like, you know, a content calendar ready or something like that. So yeah, I would say I take things as they come, but that's basically what makes up my day.
0: Create, create. Yeah, I think I think it'll be jam-packed on most days so from what I can imagine but yeah I think I think it's interesting because you'll have um you'll have probably a new thing every day to to work upon which which is yeah quite quite great um uh, and yeah I think with the freelance work you can pull that off quite frequently so that's that's awesome so are you are you like a morning person or do you get more creative during the night. So how do you manage that?
1: I'm usually like, so the creative aspect I think comes mainly in my eBooks at this point because that's really heavy content. It's long form, it requires a lot of focus. And when it comes to eBook creation, I like to spend like, you know, 10 hours straight for two days just getting the first draft ready rather than doing like, oh, 500 words every single day oh, for a month. Okay. I don't like that. So I'm the kind of person, yes. Yeah, so if it's for eBooks specifically, which requires a lot of time and attention, that all of my eBooks have been written within like 10 p.m. to like 4 a.m. kind of slot. So that is the time what I where I prefer to create content. But that's only for like eBooks or something that, something like special that I'm working on. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I don't I don't like staying up so late, I, I need to sleep as well. But yeah, definitely not a morning person cannot okay. wake up. Early. Yeah,
0: great. Yeah. I think I think most creative people who whom I, I talk to on a regular basis are night owls. But yeah, mm-hmm. I think there's something to creativity and you know, the night time piece, I think. Um, talking yeah. about your ebooks you have you ha- I think you had re- two e-books coming out recently. Uh, one was cashing out on LinkedIn mm. and other was Twitter Anthology.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I picked up Twitter Anthology very recently and got inspired by it. And, you know, that's when I thought of contacting you for the podcast. I think it's a very well-written and extremely well-designed um, e-book, probably in the best I've come across. So congratulations Thank on you. that. Um, Thank you. Yeah, so I wanted to, Keep this episode around these two ebooks only. So we'll talk about freelancing, uh, growing your audience, and stuff like that. But I think these two books and the content from it would revolve around the podcast. Um, mm-hmm. So I would I wanted to start with uh, the freelancing aspect. So what I really wanted to ask you was that why is according to you, why is freelancing so important in in today's world? Um, Can you talk from a perspective of somebody who's doing it full time, someone like you, or somebody who's, you know, doing it part time, probably along with their day job or certain other work that they have? Like, what are the dynamics of both? um, Advantages, disadvantages? And then on the back of it, can you also share your story as well? Like how did you probably after your graduation, how did you go into freelance work? Why did you choose it over a full-time mm-hmm. job and, and right aspects of that? So yeah. I've seen,
1: yeah. So I've seen like both sides of freelancing, like, you know, doing it part-time with something else and full-time as well. So part-time because I was in university when I started freelancing. So I was in my first year and uh, like, you know, the, entire thing about you know starting as a freelancer actually also started back from entering college so i had an event in college where i met the ceo of linkedin i put out a post about meeting him on linkedin and that was my first ever post i just had a profile until then but you know i'm not looking for a job so i never really used the platform but i put the post on linkedin it went viral it had like one and a half million views and because of that i got my first like four five clients so that's how you know I started with content creation, with freelancing, with LinkedIn, and that is why you know I've also written cashing in on LinkedIn because um, LinkedIn is my go-to platform. So when I started freelancing, yes, I was a student as well, um, a student who was basically in college from like eight or nine a.m. till like ten p.m. because I was so involved in everything. Um, and I would say that from that perspective, at the time it was great to just start earning something, right? Because um, I had moved abroad, so I studied abroad in Dublin. It's, it's quite an expensive place to live in. So my initial idea was, oh, now I'm able to pay my phone bill by myself. And then it was like, okay, I'm able to pay my groceries by myself. And then slowly, slowly, the, as the income kept increasing, it was I was becoming more confident, confident that, okay, this is something that's going to help me support at least my life as a student, at least for the first one or two years. And then by the third year, I actually was able to do much more than that, definitely. Uh, but from the part time perspective, I think that was very important for me, the money part, because all everyone in college was doing part-time jobs but they were going out and i was just you know in my room making money online so that was a different aspect of it so when i compare that the advantage is definitely that i'm working for myself i'm building something that's long lasting so if i had like a part-time job um let's say even in university if i took up a part-time job there it's not going to carry forward anywhere else it's not something that i can build upon long term i'm doing it maybe i do it for even all three or four years of college but that's it it's not growing beyond that and also this is something personal this is something that i'm building for myself so um when i am seen on linkedin or twitter or wherever, i'm not seen as a content writer first i'm seen as shreya patar first so that kind of Mm -hmm. personal branding that you create especially while you're still a student this is not your main thing but it's still getting your results with like probably 15 hours of work a week so of course there's a lot involved that's that's good here takes a lot of uh, takes a lot of time investment you have to make time definitely you have to i compromised a lot on sleep i would come back from college at 10 work until three on like client work calls and everything and mm-hmm. then again go to college in the morning at seven so it does require some compromise and um, i graduated early from college so i did that this year so I've been like freelancing like or doing agency work full time for probably like six months, it's not been that long. But when I compare the difference, I, I don't think that I've had to give more time to work as such to make it better because first, first of all, I've been doing this for three years. So compounding is real, okay, it works. Mm-hmm. So once you've done something for three years, you could give in the same 20 hours a week, but you'll get like 10x the results than you did when you first started out. That's just the nature of, you know, being consistent at something and constantly growing in it. Um, but yeah, so now when I do it full-time, it's not like um, it's not like that's all I do. I don't just work 24 seven. As I yeah. said, you know, I work out, I, um, I play badminton, I sing. I do all of these different things that make up a much larger chunk of my day than work so that's the best advantage for me as uh, you know as somebody who's working for myself that work is a small part of my life of course the only thing is that i can't take work off my head because i don't have a workspace i don't have like uh, an office where i can think okay now 9 to 5 5 is done so mm-hmm. let's not think about work until it's 9 am again i can't do that i can't okay. separate that in my head as much uh, that's a uh, you know that's a difficulty i guess or mm-hmm. a challenge but yeah, more advantages. So I prefer to stick with them. That's why I chose this full time. Yeah.
0: Great, great, great. No, I think it's a very interesting story that you started part time. Then, mm-hmm. when the time came, you were able to evolve it as a full time gig. Um, probably because you had a good start earlier, and mm-hmm. you were confident that you know you can do it full time and you know expand it even yeah. further. Yeah. Um, I'll ask you a very typical question which comes to my mind. I think whenever somebody is starting freelance work, it it comes to their mind as well, especially when they're going full-time with it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think they're on a a very broader level. There are just two aspects of it, right? When you compare freelance work with, um, you know, working for a company organization or somebody else. So Mm -hmm. one aspect is like the freedom that you have that, yeah, your content your career tra- trajectories in your hands and the mm-hmm. other aspect is that um so let's put it like a job security point of view right because you have to also mm-hmm. then work for new business development you have to make those clients stick uh mm-hmm. but if you're working let's say for a larger organization those are technically not your responsibilities you have to deliver your work and you have to just do good at it and you're mostly done yeah. so mm-hmm. i think because you're working in the freelance world uh you're probably more uh um gravitated towards the freedom part of it right the the control part of it so how like does this ever come to your mind and how people who are deciding this currently at, at that deciding stage should think think about it
1: Look, I would say, think about the pandemic, it like broke all the ideas you have of job, especially job security. First, Mm -hmm. most people lost their job that they thought would, you know, be their source of income for at least like the next five or 10 years, but it was Mm -hmm. gone overnight, and no one could do anything. So the idea of job security, it's, of course, it's much more, I would say than freelancing, like the pandemic was a one off thing. Mm -hmm. But again, seeing how it's, you know, how it's going, it's like, it's not ending, it's been over two years, people are still losing their jobs, people are not finding jobs again. So Mm -hmm. that idea of security, I think it's, it's died down in the past two, two and a half years. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another aspect where you know, this entire security thing comes in, in the freelancing or self employment side is that when you are growing as a freelancer, or as a self employed person, you are not growing like linearly. So if you were in a job, I don't have anything against jobs, by the way, I support both. So whatever works for you, because not not everyone can do freelancing. Not everyone can do full time jobs. I just prefer working for myself. I always have, which is why I encourage anybody who wants to do it to try it out. Uh, But the idea is that when you have a job, you can expect a raise by a certain percentage every single year. And I know Mm -hmm. if you move jobs, you can get a higher raise. But again, that's a lot of work, moving jobs, getting through interviews and stuff like that. Whereas if you're freelancing, you can literally make like $500 the first month, 5,000 the next and 10,000 the third. Again, mm-hmm. you could go back to 5,000 the fourth, but now because you know how to hit 10,000 a month, you will be able to do that again very easily because Great. now it's like, okay, I know what it takes to get there. So I can do it again. I can replicate it somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first time it may feel like luck, but when you keep doing it, like when you keep freelancing for so long, you, you figure out that there's a pattern between you know, how many clients you're getting, how many clients you're retaining, what service is working good, what service isn't working out for you to offer, things like that. So from that perspective, uh, freelancing has more potential in terms of exponential growth okay. uh, financially while also still committing the same amount of hours every month for your work and then of course you can hire a team you can outsource you can still make like up to 50 percent or even more profit on anything you're outsourcing as well Mm -hmm. Uh, so again you're reducing the time you're still getting clients still making money but you're reducing the time you are spending personally in the work as well Uh, so a lot of ways to diversify it Um, so yeah that's my idea of like job security and freelancing security
0: Definitely. No, I think, I think it's a very well thought point. And something which I realized while I was uh, reading your book was that I think there's, there can be a strategic way to build up your Mm -hmm. portfolio, build up your client base, right? Uh, um, Which, which I was not aware, technically, um, that there could be a way in which you just like a strategy in a corporate organization, you can also define your own strategy. And That can actually work Mm. in the freelancing world. It's not just like you're hitting darts and somebody, uh, sometimes Mm -hmm. something will pick up, sometimes something will do not but you can actually define a a strategy and that can work while growing your client base. I I think we double down on this uh, at a later stage in the podcast. Um, Moving on, uh, let's shift our focus to, you know, the three most important social channels in today's world, at least according to me. Mm -hmm. that is Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's dive into these one by one. Um, And let's keep the context similar. So if you could just help in dissecting these based on four kind of important criteria, which is target audience, reach, Mm -hmm. post frequency, like how how often one should post, and Mm -hmm. like conversions. So These four contexts, if you can break down, you know, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, according to your expertise and experience.
1: Okay, so I'll start with LinkedIn because Mm -hmm. uh, I've been creating content on LinkedIn for over three years. Uh, That's my main go to source for high ticket service clients. So that's where I get people who pay me over fifteen hundred or two thousand dollars per month to give them a service. So that would be it. In terms of organic reach, LinkedIn is great. So if you're starting out like brand new, you've never used any social media platform. LinkedIn is great because it's not overwhelming. You can post three to four four times a week instead of like three to four times a day on Twitter or one one time a day uh, on Instagram. So you can post lesser. It's also less overwhelming because you can post text content. You don't have to create videos or images or something accompanying like that. You just write text, that's okay. as i said reach organic reach is great target audience for any platform i would say you have to define it yourself based on um, what you are offering and what you what kind of audience you wish to build but of course naturally on linkedin you would find more people who are in the professional workspace so across all ages but Lots of freelancers on there. That's my community uh, on LinkedIn. So lots of freelancers. You'll also find people who have jobs. You'll, of course, find people who are looking for jobs as well. So um, even if you're like a career coach or you help people with recruitment, you offer like uh, CV writing or resume writing services, that's a great space again, because there are also people who are applying and looking for jobs. Uh, So yeah, the professional aspect of it, LinkedIn is great. The second platform that I started using was Instagram. So probably been one and a half years on there. I recommend in terms of frequency, it would be one post a day. It could be anything, video, images, uh, definitely reels because reels have a lot of organic reach. Mm -hmm. Um, Reels are the fastest for growth right now. So in terms of reach, if you want more reach, you have to be very, um, what do you say, just keep up with the real trends and create a lot of those use trending music, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Audience on Instagram, of course, is younger. So for me, selling my ebooks and courses like, like my ebooks, they work the best on Instagram. People who are young, people who want to start freelancing. Uh, my ebooks are in the range of like 20 to 45 ish dollars. So you can like just, just get an idea of, you know, the paying capacity as such. Uh, of course people would pay more for courses as well and then you have a much more direct way to engage with your audience with instagram stories instagram lives it's much more casual and laid back than linkedin and twitter so just a great way to connect and have fun uh, twitter i have been probably using for like four months um i mean with like you know full focus okay. so i haven't spent much time here but by the way i understand it i would say in terms of reach it's okay um if you can get big accounts to retweet you or like your content, of course, it'll get more reach. Um, platitudes do really well. So if you tell someone to like take cold showers, I think that's those kind of posts do really well. Um, maybe they have some truth, uh, truth to them probably, yeah, yeah because, you know, uh, but yeah, I think those kind of posts work well. Threads do really well, high value threads. I would say like check out content by Sahil Bloom,
0: he yeah, has I really found. good
1: threads. Yeah. Um, check out how um, how Sahil lavingia who's the founder of Gumroad, how he has been creating uh, tweets about like basically Gumroad's journey. He has mm-hmm. been building in public, constantly sharing like the quarterly and annual revenue, customers, stuff like that. That's doing great. A lot of other people uh, teach something. So I teach freelancing. So okay. it something works, something doesn't. So reach um, not the best but Mm -hmm. I guess stick to it, it'll work. And um, again, in terms of audience, I think it's varied. You can find a lot of clients. I don't use it for clients yet. I make about one or two sales of my eBooks every day uh, on Twitter since the past few weeks, because Mm -hmm. now my following is growing. Uh, And yeah, I think Twitter spaces is fun as well. So it's a great way to connect with people. And again, if you join a space with somebody who has a large following and you get a chance to speak, You'll probably attract their followers, provided you're a good speaker as well. So yeah, those three platforms.
0: Awesome. Thanks for breaking these down uh, pretty concisely. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think for just being really active on Twitter for just four months, I think you've built a great audience there because like a couple of hours earlier, we posted a... A, a random shout out to like your followers and first for some questions mm-hmm. and we got a couple of responses so that's that's great mm-hmm. uh, kudos to you on that yeah. thank you um one question which just pops pops up in my mind and it has been my kind of uh sort of this this thing has been nudging me for a while so i'll do a bit of self-consulting here because now i have you on the show um So I basically with the podcast, uh, it's it's been 12 months almost now. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of a side hustle, let's say for me. So I don't get so much time to, you know, be 24 seven on social media. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you see any overlap of content between these channels? So let's say I'm creating a content, promotional content for Instagram or LinkedIn. Can I... Put the content that I'm putting on LinkedIn on Instagram as well, and then Twitter as well? Or do I need to customize it for every channel uh, for a be- better reach and better uh, outlook?
1: Yeah, so that's called repurposing content, where you have okay. one content piece ready and you reuse it for other platforms. So, mm. yes, totally, you can do that. Um, I do that every single day. So, a lot of my tweets come from the QAs that I do on Instagram. Uh, my longer LinkedIn posts become, you know, Uh, twitter threads they become captions for instagram they become carousels for instagram so there's a lot Mm -hmm. of way to move things around but you do need to tweak them i would say because you know especially on twitter let's say you're writing a thread you're converting a linkedin post into a thread the first line like the first tweet of the thread needs to be super duper hooking because it's not going to you know on a linkedin post everything will come up in one go because mm-hmm. the post is longer, but in threads, people have to click it to read the next part. So work on the first line in a thread, I would say. Um, again, in a LinkedIn post, also you need a good hook, but then you don't need images. So it's faster to create content there. Um, once you post on Twitter, you can also just take a screenshot, upload it on Instagram. So that, that's how you can just repurpose content. Yeah. And uh, you know, even the podcasts themselves, since you're also recording videos and you have audio, so you can turn those videos into reels. Um, into snippets that also you can upload to Twitter. Uh, LinkedIn also does fairly good with videos actually. So if you wanna try it out, they don't get as much reach as text Mm posts, but they get much higher engagement than text posts. So you'll probably see like a 10% engagement rate on video compared to the average two or much lesser on text. Um, So yeah, lots of ways to reuse the content that you already have without um, spending much time creating new stuff, definitely.
0: Great, great. Thanks for solving the dilemma for me because I sometimes figure out that, you know, uh, should I make different content for um, different channel? I think it'll it'll work to some extent, but I think when you're really short on time and you want to get the word out really quickly, you can repurpose it um, most of the time. And I think that that works.
1: Yeah.
0: Great, great. Cool, so um, while while reading your book twitter anthology um i came across a paradox again it's something which which was bothering me as well but i'm i'm really sure that it would be every creator's dilemma sort of um like in the book you have shared you know some amazing threads on how to monetize work and like how to get the pricing right with with customers when you're growing um which, which I never knew about it and I learned from your book personally. But mm-hmm. okay, while I was reading your personal journey there, you, you also mentioned that, you know, when you were growing your follower base, you give a lot of content out for free, be it live sessions, eBooks, like Twitter anthology was a free book, right? Um, mm-hmm. For a limited set of customers. So when you're producing content, like back then you know, when you were growing, like let's say your your u- university days, and then now as as a full time uh, freelancer, how do you think about what sort of content goes for free and what so- sort of content you can monetize on? And I think the reason it becomes a harder decision for content creators or freelancers is because every piece of content requires hard work, time, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you decide in that in that case, like?
1: Okay, so there's no real decision making there. Um, Mm -hmm. Because look, if you think about it, like the Twitter anthology is a collection of my tweets. So you can technically you can find everything that's in that ebook on my Twitter feed. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had another ebook, my first ebook was called hashtag anthology, which was a collection of my best LinkedIn posts. Again, you can go on LinkedIn. And if you keep scrolling, you will somewhere you'll find all those posts because they're extracts from LinkedIn. Uh, but the problem with online content or like content even on like my Instagram is that it's all haphazard, right? So I will just post about something that I think is in demand at the moment. If I'm getting a lot of questions about pricing, I'll create a post about that. If I think today I want to talk about, um, let's say, how to find clients, I'll create a post about that. But there's no structure. There's no organized information there but otherwise i mean you can find everything for free online you want to find customers you can you'll find a youtube video that's not even by me it's by someone mm-hmm. else but you'll find it so it's not about you know what should be free what should be paid it's more about when you're creating a paid piece of content like an ebook how do you make sure that it is something that people are able to make the most of and in my case make money from because that's mm-hmm. what i'm doing my ebooks are meant to help you make more money um, so yeah i think that's the main difference between online and uh, online content and ebooks it's not that i'm trying to save s- stuff up so that i can you know charge yeah. for it later because like if you think about it all that free content is why i'm getting paid for ebooks right now if i didn't post that if i didn't mm-hmm. add that value no one would trust me no one would know me i would have no credibility as somebody who can teach something like financing so that right. free content is important again it's not so different from what is in the ebooks the ebooks are more in depth and they are more um, structured and they also usually most of my ebooks also include like road maps and 30-day challenges that you can use to start seeing results so it's yeah it just gives you a, a path rather than you know just bits and pieces of information here and there great
0: great great no i think it's a it's a great way to put it uh i think there's uh there's some flywheel effect going on here, right? Like you put you mm-hmm. put in efforts for content, you give it out of for free. That's where you you are able to gather customers who can then uh, you know come to you mm-hmm. for for something customized or you know the paid version yeah. of paid version of it. So no, I think I think that's a great way to think. Um, mm-hmm. I think a mix of both really really shines through. Um, You shouldn't like really give too much content out of free as well, but you should also keep that, um, uh, you know, some aspects to it, which you, which you're not charging, which you're just giving away as, uh, you know, as goodwill or as a way to grow your follower base, uh, to, to your existing followers and, 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 you know, the new customers that might come up. So I think that's a great way to put it. Cool. So I would now like to pivot to a few questions that we received uh, from Twitter a couple of hours back. So uh, so there's there's one um, one of your followers, I think uh, Raj Kaikwad, he compiled a couple of questions which I would like to put in because I think those are great, great questions. And I think it'll, it'll cover the whole aspect of the podcast. So there are five questions. I'll quickly go through these and you can just quickly touch base on them and then we'll, we'll yeah. follow through, right? Okay. So the first question is how to start as a freelancer uh, as a beginner?
1: But it's like, so I've written an entire ebook on yeah. how to start as a freelancer. And the reason the ebook exists is because it has to be an ebook. It can't really be, a, you know, a one-liner answer. But still, to just like to break it down to absolutely the basic most basic fundamentals it would be if you want to start as a freelancer to be a freelancer you basically need a client that's the fundamental aspect otherwise you're just like a writer or a a graphic designer you're just somebody with a skill set you're not a freelancer so -hmm. the first goal should be to find a client and how do you do that one of the ways is to dm people as i said like dm 10 people a day for the next 30 days pitch your offer pitch what you do work for free if you have to for the first one or two people in exchange for like a video testimonial or text testimonial and the second way is to start creating content online uh, where you talk about your expertise where you talk about why your target audience needs you as a, a service provider mm-hmm. what advantages your niche or you know your service in that niche has for your potential client so the best idea would be to do both you should do outreach as well as content creation do this for like 30 days straight and see what results you get
0: great great perfect mm-hmm. the second one is how to make a portfolio for yourself and what should we add to it i think you also have a great post on in twitter anthology around your portfolio design
1: so mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. i'd probably recommend uh raj to read that and everybody else to who's going through it but uh, yeah, just touch basing very quickly on the portfolio aspect of it.
1: So keep your portfolio very short and sweet. So many times when freelancers send me their portfolio, it's like a Google drive link with 10 different folders. And each folder has more folders and each of those folders has like five different documents. So that's overwhelming for me. So if I'm asking, like, I'm looking for a writer who's good at writing digital marketing articles. So just send me your three best articles in that particular niche so if you're creating a portfolio like you can have a collection for yourself but when you're sending out your portfolio just make sure it's um, it's something that's specific to what the client needs and one of the best ways especially if you're a content writer would be to create a portfolio on medium so you can send links rather than google doc links like you it looks more professional and published and depending like if you are a uh, if you're a video editor you can create a private youtube playlist and you can send that link to your uh, prospects if you are a graphic designer you can cre- uh, i think there are a few platforms for that as well where you can create presentation formats just send that across and your prospect can view it easily The yeah, yeah the basic idea just make it very easy for them to view it and go through it like don't make that a task in itself
0: yep yep that, that'll be that'll be great advice um the third one is how to find, how to find first your first client basically, or a first group of clients. Mm-hmm. So, what's your advice? Do on that?
1: that, do that outreach. Ten people at least every single day for the next thirty days. Uh, I recommend you start with people you know, so people like your colleagues, people you're connected with on LinkedIn or Twitter, people who engage with your content that you think would hire you, and then uh, reach out also to people you don't know. So that's cold DMing. Do that, like 30 days, you 300 people, you'll definitely find somebody who wants to hire you.
0: Great, great, great. The fourth one is, I think, um, rolls around um, the logistics piece of it. So mm-hmm. the question is basically, is a laptop necessary to start? How should we fill the need of laptop if we don't have one? I think a broader sense to it is that what sort of, tools do you require to you know get into the freelancing stuff um mm-hmm. so if you can throw some light on that please
1: so basically yeah, you need a device i'd recommend a laptop because it's a bigger screen it's easier to use if you're a content writer i have seen a few people make do with a phone because you can use google talks but if you're a graphic designer video editor you need a laptop so it depends on what you're doing laptop yes internet connection i recommend once you start making money from freelancing, invest in a good internet connection. You don't want that laggy internet. It, it It's probably $10 a month, especially in India, to get really good internet connection uh, while you're getting paid like at least $100 from your clients, right? Yeah. Uh, so good internet connection and a skill. Like that's the fundamental of what you need. If you have a skill, if you have a laptop, if you have internet, you can reach out to anybody. You can find people across the world. You can sell your services and you can make money. So. Great it's fundamentally that simple
0: yeah I think I think that's great advice one one thing which I realized when I was doing the podcast is and that's something which I've heard from a lot of uh, artists and creators as well is that when you're starting you don't need to have the best of the line of, of the tools right mm-hmm. like you don't need yeah. that m1 macbook you don't need the top of the yeah. line uh, camera you just start with what you have and then build upon it But on Mm -hmm. the other hand, I think there's some minimum viability to the tools that are required. For example, when I started the podcast, the first episode I recorded, I didn't have a professional mic. And Mm -hmm. once I put that on on the internet and I asked a few people to review it, the most common feedback I got was, you know, the voice quality was horrible. So then I thought of, you know, let's invest in a mic. So Mm -hmm. you shouldn't be like doing it too extravagantly but also just decide mm-hmm. on what what's the minimum required here to give quality stuff out to the to the clients or your audience. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's uh, that'll be that'll be good. Um the last one is how should we charge our services? Um again I think there's another thread in your book Twitter anthology mm-hmm. around charging the clients. So I think yeah. that'll be a great read. But yeah if you can just touch base very quickly.
1: So in terms of pricing, I always say go for value-based pricing, either monthly pricing or project pricing. Per word, per hour, everything's too taxing for you, your client. It costs you money and time that you don't want to invest or spend or waste rather. So per project pricing, and I don't give any recommendations for how much to charge because it definitely depends on what sort of skill set you have. And more importantly, depends on what sort of confidence you have. So if I go ahead and tell you, you know, charge $100 for an article, but you don't have the confidence to charge $100 for an article, you won't close the client, right? Um, so I would say when you're starting out, charge what you feel is fair for you. If you think that, okay, if I get paid $20, that sounds right to me. Start with that. And then next time you can, you know, increase it or even lower it if you didn't find, find that right for you. So yeah, experiment mm-hmm. with your pricing. That That's what I will say.
0: Great, great, great. Cool. So thanks for, you know, taking those questions from Twitter, which we just got. Um, we'll quickly move the last, sorry, the second last part of it. Um, this, this question is sort of my favorite question of the podcast, primarily because when I was reading to, to the book, uh, I really like this quote from Nawal Ravikant, which, whom I really follow a lot on, on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So the quote goes something like that, Rich people get paid by the project and pay by the R. Um, there's a complete thread on, on, on in your book around this, but just if you can elaborate on this this quote from a content, context of freelancing, I think that'll be, that'll be great. Right.
1: So look, this is a tricky spot for me to be in because while I'm a service provider, I'm also an agency owner so i'm doing both right i'm being hired but i'm also doing the hiring so naturally when you're running a business and this, this is not something there's no right or wrong here it's obvious it's natural that when you are running a business you want to make profits and how mm-hmm. do you make profits you pay um, you pay out less money than you get that's it that's simple uh, so what do you, what does it mean you it means you pay people lesser than you would get paid right mm-hmm um so if you look at in that context yes i will always say that if you are a freelancer you should yourself make sure you're getting paid uh what you want to get paid uh, negotiate only to the point that you are comfortable with but that doesn't change the fact that there are people out there and there will always be people out there who will pay uh, or who will charge an amount that i'm comfortable paying out as as an agency owner Um, so of course in terms of that you know profit loss in terms of that running a business in terms of growing a business it's not just about me keeping my money for personal use it's also that it has to get reinvested in other things that Mm -hmm. i want to do eventually that are beyond agency work Um, so that's a natural aspect of it which is why i also say that if you want to get hired like use something like fiverr or upwork use that for hiring not for selling because mm-hmm. there you'll find people who will do work for 5 or $7 an hour. But you don't right. want to be one of those people who's selling your time for 5 or $7 an hour. Yeah. And that's just the harsh, harsh reality or rather the reality of running a business, right? Everyone's looking for the best yet the most affordable option that they can go for.
0: Yeah, great, great. Yeah. And I think it relates to the earlier topic, right? Price, like charging the services. So mm-hmm. I think the ultimate goal would be to transition into... Uh, paid per project rather than paid per mm-hmm. hour and yes. then outsourcing work in a sense that you can earn um, by project and then pay by the hour so I think mm-hmm. this the, the concept relates to is technically it's it's mostly capitalism but I think it relates to the equity right as Nawal says mm-hmm. you are getting the upside of of the project but then again, you also have your, like you also have skin in the game, right? Like your mm-hmm. efforts yes. are at stake. Your reputation are at, is at stake. You, you work yeah. so hard to, you know, earn that client which, which is ready to pay you by the project. So, mm-hmm. which I think somebody who's probably working as a freelancer for you doesn't have, mm-hmm. like they, they'll have 10 mm-hmm. other folks who, who are they working for them. So I think the ultimate would be that, you know, you start by getting paid by the art and transitioning to, you know, getting paid the project. I think that, that should be, that should be the end goal. And it's really great that you are at that stage um, in your, in your journey. Yeah. So, so that's, that's awesome. Cool. So I, I reserve this last question um, for the end because yeah, I really wanted to ask this because when I was going through the book, you know, I was like, you're you're handling so much stuff. You're managing clients, doing your own work as well. So how do you, mm-hmm. I mean, how do you recharge and de-stress yourself after a long, hectic day? Like you have touched base on this earlier as well, but I think the work can be really taxing. Uh, yeah. Even though you have freedom, but you're, you're, you know, you don't have a typical work day. You can get, client yeah. calls at, at any any hour and stuff like that so how do you you know manage and balance out life how do you de-stress yourself uh, can you just dial down on, on that
1: yeah okay. Um, <laughs> this is always a pretty challenging uh, concept for me. This whole de-stressing thing, because as I said, you know, like it's it's difficult for me to stop thinking about work. It's not specifically stress, but it's the idea that there's always something going on in my mind. Right, there's always something or the other happening. Like a new ebook idea will pop up at two a.m. and I'll start writing the outline when I've not even finished the previous one. So yeah. stuff stuff like that, you know. Um, but one of the recent discoveries of de-stressing has definitely been working out because when you're lifting weights when you're lifting heavy you either focus on what you're lifting or you cannot move the weight at all like there's no halfway you can't think your brain can't be anywhere else at all otherwise you'll basically hurt yourself so that's one of the best ways like um I, I haven't been working out for the past two weeks, but when I was like every time I my day was the, the roughest, I would just run to the gym faster because I was like, okay, I need that one, one and a half hours of my brain not working in mm-hmm. these aspects. Yeah. So that's one of my ways of de-stressing. The other way is like the simple coping mechanism everyone has that you just forget everything, take a nap. And um, then, you know, once you are, you're awake, you can then see everything from a fresh perspective. But yeah, in general, uh, Also things like just talking to my family. That's very de-stressing for me because Mm -hmm. we talk about work. They know everything about my business. They give me a lot of advice on how to run my business and stuff like that. Um, They help me a lot with dealing with like bad clients, dealing with mistakes I make along the way, dealing with uh, helping me deal with how much I beat myself up over certain things, all those kinds of things. So that's also de-stressing just knowing that, okay, there's somebody I can talk to who will say that, three days from now is not even going to matter so you need to stop thinking so much about it just see if you can fix it if you can't forget it yeah. um so yeah that's de-stressing i guess yeah great
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. i think there's another anecdote um which i really liked uh which you shared in a thread which is uh, while you're walking your puppy who's uh, i think a very strong uh dogma man named harvey mm-hmm. But I think yeah. it's a really interesting story, you know, and I really liked it. So, but I, I think the best way we put it is that once you have such a busy life in which you're working, I think nonstop, you're constantly getting ideas. Uh, but I think getting those spaces of, I, I say it as non-work or those transient mm-hmm. spaces in which you are, you know, just for some time being focusing on something else, whether it's lifting weight, whether yeah. it's it's going out for a walk or maybe talking to your family about work stuff or something else. I think those are very important mm-hmm. to just, you know, mm-hmm. re-energize your mind and, and even naps as well. I think they're great re-energizers. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, great. Cool. So this, this brings us to the end of the conversation. Um, I really wanted to thank you for your time, like taking out time for this out of your busy schedule. You could have been doing yeah. thousand things uh at no the i'm glad concert. i'm here great i'm
1: glad i'm here
0: <laughs> um so thanks for that i think one one really special piece that came out of the conversation is that throughout the conversation you were really open and happy to share the secrets of, of of the stuff that you do of the trade which mm-hmm. i don't think is very common and especially you know when when you reach a certain certain stage you have a good client base you're earning well i think a lot of people try to restrict themselves to the information that they have i think you shared out everything that you had all the trade secrets openly to, to the audience i think I, it's very appreciative uh doing that so thanks for that thank you. and yeah. yeah congratulations again on your ebooks um great so thank you thanks so much
1: yeah thanks for having me great conversation
0: Hey listeners, welcome to the Ad Intellect podcast. Today we have with us the incredible Shreya Pathar, who's an agency owner and content writer, creating content and working with high ticket clients across the world. With a following of nearly 110,000 followers on LinkedIn and 44,000 followers on Instagram, she has fast tracked her way into building a successful online business career. She now helps freelancers, creators, entrepreneurs and students to save months and months of time and effort in building an online presence. Her beautifully crafted ebooks like Twitter Anthology, Money Calls, Freelancing Freedom and Cashing In on LinkedIn have received great reviews from freelancers, entrepreneurs and students around the globe. In this episode, Shreya shares her journey of building a successful freelancing career Deconstructs content monetization and audience economics across platforms like Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and also answers to specific listener questions towards the end. So, without further ado, let's jump straight into the show.